Welcome to The Stories That Make Us, a podcast about the fiction that has molded, shaped, and inspired us. I'm Rory Doherty, and this is my co-host, Abby Ruggles. Hello. Each episode, we're going to chat to a different creative and explore which narratives have impacted them the most. But uh, we are not going to have a guest on, shock horror, for this uh, first few episodes. We're going to interview each other and really get a sense of who your hosts are, and what fiction has kind of made them effectively. Um, So I'm going to be interviewing Abby, uh, which is going to be really exciting, and everyone's going to have a great time. And uh, they're going to talk about uh, the things that they've picked out for us. Um, How are you doing, Abby? I'm doing great, Rory. How are you? I'm good. Just We we need to make sure that we have pleasantries, uh, (laughs) because they need to know that we we have a good rapport. Not just us. Just logging on and being like, fuck you, let's get What up? <laughs> right, kickstand door. Let me talk oh God, to you I'm about so this I'm comic s- book. I've sworn already. <laughs> we're like, <laughs> this is like, we're lo- going for like a PG audience. That's the vibe we're kind of doing. You can, all the family could get around and listen to this. And just like, <laughs> um, Abby, first off, before we get to the things you've picked, why don't you tell us? a bit about yourself and what type of creative you are. Sure. Um, I mean, if somebody actually wants to tell me that, that would be great because I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so I'm a writer, kind of generally. I mostly write about video games, video game reviews, that kind of stuff. I also occasionally do TV and film stuff, but it's not really my strong suit. I kind of, if I'm watching a film, I'd rather just enjoy it rather than have to think about it too much. Mm. But I also have a huge love of fiction. Um, I was literally one of those kids that was all, always walking around with their head in a book. Um, so I literally like was raised on stories and storytelling and books. Uh, and I've ever since I was maybe like six or seven years old, I've always written. Um, I have memory sticks and you know notebooks fill up with pretty much oh, yeah. everything I've ever done since I was a child, um, which mm-hmm. is always fun to go back through. Oh, I threw out my diary from when I was like twelve or thirteen. Oh, I'm so gutted, so gutted. Every time I like some... have to do a clear out, I come across like my teenage diaries, and it is almost oh. an immense sense of joy of just reading. Like, oh, I had an argument with Rosie this week. Fuck her. Like, she's yeah, such a bitch. fuck Rosie, basically. <laughs> That's what we're sorry, coming Rosie, down. If Rosie, you're if, sorry, Rosie, if you are listening, you know, maybe sort yourself out because you were you were being an arsehole. Um, um, <laughs> my problem with my teenage diary, uh, sorry, which is just at a slight no, tangent. Go, go. I will keep it brief. Problem with my teenage diaries, I thought it was funny. I thought what I was writing was really <laughs> funny, and it's really not funny. So I'm gonna need to give it a bit more time before uh, I can go back. To my it. problem was, um, so there was like a series of books that me and my friend were really obsessed with when we were about. 13 14 years old called the george nicholson series um so yeah. the film was angus songs and perfect snogging which is like the name of the first book mm-hmm. um and that's all written in diary form so there's maybe like a year period where 
all my diaries I'm trying to write like George Nicholson and it is the cringiest thing you've ever read in your life I hate it I'm so glad I'm so glad you said that because I did the exact same thing but for the diary of the wimpy kid books (laughs) so that's what my diary is I'll draw cartoons and like try to make jokes and it's just so painful and awful um, and I've written in like pencil as well. I don't know why, um, but it just means I can't read any of it now. <laughs> it's all like blurred out and terrible. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to mimic other people. Yeah. Not great. But yeah, so... So anyway, yeah. I write, I think long term, my goal is to eventually write books. Um, I'm always like working on short stories and stuff like that. But I also really like sharing my thoughts and opinions, especially on video games, just because they've had Mm -hmm. such a big influence on me and the way I think about story and structure and how we compose them. And so I think even if I did end up going more in the direction of fiction, I don't Mm -hmm. think I'd ever be able to rein in, I have an opinion on this thing and I'm going to write about it. Well, you've made good picks for today. You've got a work of fiction and you've got a video game. And Mm -hmm. uh, how would you just in brief, tell me how, why you pick these two different ones and then I'll choose which one we go for. Okay. So one of them is kind of what I would trace back as one of my initial inspirations for wanting to write in the first Mm -hmm. place. This is, I think it's going to make it really obvious, which is which. And then the other one is pretty much why I primarily write about video games. Okay. So I'm betting the fiction is why you write about video games. I think I can work it out. I'm very, very perceptive. Um, let's talk about the, let's go chronologically. So let's start with the work of fiction. So for the book, I've picked a series of unfortunate events. Hell yeah. Because it was just, I just remember, it just brought me so much joy as a child. Um, I think the last one came out maybe around 2006. So I was maybe about 11 year old when I sort of finished the series. For oh, the first I remember time. that. You've just given me such a flashback. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's still to this day is one of my favorites because I just genuinely think it's one of these universal stories that there is just something in there for everyone. Mm-hmm. You read it as a kid and you're kind of relating to these sort of outcast kids. They're very nerdy, but their nerdiness is like celebrated, which was a huge sort of source of comfort for me, mm-hmm. who was a very, very nerdy kid. Um, and, you know, they're going through all these horrible things, but they're sticking together and they've got family and they love each other. And, you know, no matter what happens, it's like yeah. a very loving book. Um, and then I kind of came back to it throughout my teenage years and then I reread it a couple of years ago and there's just so much, it gets really dark and there's Mm -hmm. a lot in there for adults as well. It's a story that really plays around with morality and what is right and wrong and who is bad and good. Um, and it's influenced a huge amount of my writing. If you go back to kind of my very early days when I was maybe 15 or 16 and read the fiction I was writing then, you could tell that it was influenced by Lemony Snicket. It had a very kind of informal, I'm talking directly to the reader mm-hmm. kind of tone of voice. Yeah. Um, but even now, if you read the kind of short stories and stuff I like working on, it still has a lot of the same themes. Morality is a huge thing I like playing around with in mm-hmm. books. I don't tend to write just good versus evil. I like playing around with it and making the audience question, wait, what actually is the right thing to do here? So run us down the premise of the series of books that is series of unfortunate events of course that'd be a good idea it would be an amazing idea in case in case you're not like imagine i'm not you know a giant nerd and haven't like religiously read these books (laughs) so a series of unfortunate events follows the Baudelaire children violet klaus and sunny um after the deaths of their parents um they've been left a massive 
fortune and in the first book they get taken in by a distant relative called count olaf um it's revealed through the first book that he essentially only took them in because he's trying to get their fortune they eventually get away from him but then the rest of the series is them getting passed around from place to place person to person and count olaf always finding a way to worm his way back into their lives to try and steal that fortune about halfway through the series the books take a bit of a structure change and that's when the kind of real morality issues start playing in because they kind of set off on their own and even though the books still follow the same structure they go to a new place it's not so much they have a new caretaker mm-hmm. it's really that they're in this new place that they're trying to survive um and then they end up having to question a lot of you know their relationship with count olaf he's obviously a villain but it gets a lot more blurred yeah especially in the very last book. I remember I remember being too young, actually, to really sort of take in the last book. Uh, and I maybe mm. should revisit the series or something at some point, you know, when I haven't yeah. got, like, when I have time. Uh, but because uh, there's, like, 900 of them. Uh, but I remember especially <laughs> the last, the very, very last postscript reveal of the book that really uh, also yep. uh, puts into perspective who the writer is is and their relationship with the characters and why he is telling the story everything just comes into um into focus so what age did you start ingesting these books then about what time in your life are we talking i mean i was i don't know when i started reading them it was maybe a couple of years before the last one came out so it was maybe like eight or nine like i was a a really strong reader from a very young age which was same perhaps a source of a lot of my problems same that's why we have anxiety <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. it's because we were in the top reading groups <laughs> like i was in the top reading that. groups for like four or five years and then uh they and then they realized that i wasn't like a kid genius and i stopped like getting better at reading and everyone else just caught up i'm never sure if it's like i have anxiety because like i was pushed too much at school yeah. or if i was like just you know i read too much because i literally had an anxiety and didn't have any <laughs> <laughs> oh man um but yeah but I, th- I think reading it at that age is a completely different experience to reading a lot of kids books because the audience who i mean it is primarily a kid mm. series there is a lot in there for you know adults and stuff but it is a, a young adult series but the uh lemony stick it never talks to the reader like they are a child mm-hmm. And he doesn't treat the children in the books like they are Mm -hmm. children. He just treats them like human beings. And I think when you're kind of that age, you're, you know, I guess when I read the last book, I would either was just about to or had just started secondary school. You're kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, you're growing up. You don't want to be treated like you're just this stupid little kid anymore. And so having an adult that existed that didn't write to you like you were one was really special it is what about which of the three children because they all have very distinct traits and stuff who did you empathize Mm. with the most and explain why it was probably klaus so klaus is the middle child but he's the reader of the group so violet likes inventing things and sunny likes biting things initially but then this kind of grows into her uh, actually getting interested mm-hmm. in cooking but yeah so klaus i always really related to because he loved reading and i loved reading and he was you know whenever he, there was a problem to solve it was always mm-hmm. like to the library which was this huge like sense of joy for me that you know it wasn't about being stronger or faster it was about being mm. smarter which was it was just so important to you know the weird little kid at the back of the room that just wanted to read and didn't want to do pe or any of that kind of stuff 
didn't he like extend? Am I thinking this the right thing? Where he would explain the definitions of the big words, yeah. right? He'd go, "This is a word that means that," and it, and it's yeah. always in a like ironical way. Yeah. So he'd use a word and it'd be like, "Which here means yeah. blah 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 blah," yeah. um, which is great. But then um, I also I loved Violet mm. as well because she was the big sister mm-hmm. and I'm a big sister. I've got two little brothers, ah. um, and so as she was kind of growing up and, you know, having all this responsibility about being, you know, looking after her younger siblings, that was something I related hugely to as well. Um, I think it's just something you can't get away from as the oldest. I mean, I was a middle child um, who had an older sister and a younger sister. Um, So Mm. I would kind of fit straight in that close thing, but also like was very sort of determined and opinionated and thought I knew everything about the things I wanted to go on with. And it wasn't necessarily reading. It was a lot of, you know, movies and TV and stuff like that. But certainly as it went wrong, I would just, I get that sort of like encyclopedic knowledge of stuff. All the stuff I have encyclopedic knowledge for is not like useful shit. It's like, oh, I know when (laughs) that movie was real. If you need me for a movie pub quiz round, uh, I'm there. I'm unmatched. Uh, my family and you can contact right, Rory. You can absolutely. I can be commissioned to come to your pub quiz team. I can do that. Um, but like, I really sort of enjoyed. It was really all. It's sad because you, you feel like an idiot with those books. Where thing there's always a moment where they think they can find a situation where they're happy and get out of this. Yeah. And then obviously every single time it comes crashing down and they're they're thrown into and a new it's one. just you're constantly told as well like the author is constantly like guys this is not going to end well like why are you still reading this it's a really sad story yeah. and yet at the same time you're like yeah but maybe mm-hmm. maybe this maybe time. um maybe <laughs> which is an incredible talent when you think about it is it. because i mean i guess it's the idea of hope and that's the reason why yeah. you write 13 books and don't run out of steam it's because you keep the hope and you respect the audience to be like this okay Yes, we're going through the same uh, stuff over and over again, but there is also like a genuine mystery that keeps unfolding. Yeah. Um, which, which gets complex with these triplets and the firefighter sort of uh, group that um, that their parents yeah. were in and the mystery and Count Olaf and stuff. And there is this real, it's something I really like in fiction, which is like in quite a lot of um young adult or children's fiction is the idea that like there's a really complex world of adults that we as children would learn about it so too did the audience piecemeal basically but also yeah. that you have children who are sort of fighting to i mean i guess it's like the the entire dramatic point of like harry potter or the phoenix is the idea of like oh there's a i just want to be taken seriously like i can help i can really help this and series of force events really has that as well i mean there's much less support for these kids because they are literally Fending it, yeah. but every one of them starts with this image of these three abandoned kids in this new weird environment, and it feels sort of yeah. Wes Anderson esque, kind of like in. B- yeah. Oh god, sadder. can you imagine if Wes Anderson? Oh well, did. I guess we got to talk about the adaptations of this series. Okay. Um, okay. I think we're going to start with the first one, which is the one I remember so the, the most. Two thousand and four movie film where Jim Carrey is yes. Count Olaf. Um. Okay. Talk me through where you're at. So this film, first adaptation of a series of unfortunate events, it covers basically the first three books. And it's the first time I remember as a child being excited for a film coming out. I was over the moon that this book series that I love, I was going to get to see these people in the world and not just in Mm. my head. And 
for that reason, I have not watched the film for years because I am scared that I will not like it as much as I did as a kid. Did you love it? I loved it so much. And also the thing is, when we were growing up, we didn't have like a huge amount of DVDs or access to watching movies. Like You were were Amish, is that correct? You grew up on a farm and there was no electricity and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So... The ones that we did have, yeah, on repeat, I, we kind of like yeah, watched yeah. religiously. Um, so I loved that film growing up, and I still to this day think that Jim Carrey was an excellent. He choice is. For he is Olaf. really good. I will say that he's fantastic. But, but rationally, I know that if I go back, I will hate yeah. it, uh, and so I simply refuse. That's to do fair. So. <laughs> That's self care as well. You know that you'll be yeah, putting yeah, yourself <laughs> into a bad situation, and so you're just going to say no. I will neglect to ignore exactly. that for a while. So then, 2016 happened. Yes. Yeah. I have a huge amount of love for this adaptation. I think, for me, the Netflix A Series of Unfortunate Events is how you adapt a book series Mm. to a TV show. Mm. Um, Because it is... It follows the same storyline, same characters. It's very close to the source material. And yet he updates it and he adds things in there that just make it perfect for watching rather than reading. Yeah. Whilst also clearing up a few things that maybe readers were left a bit unsure about with the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's... I've rewatched it a few times and I, I love it. I remember thinking, like... I was just... It felt... A little I mean I just watched the first season so I haven't seen the rest of it but it felt a little more it wasn't as maybe it's because I wasn't a kid but it just wasn't as like funny and it felt like it was just being a bit smug but like the casting of like Patrick Warburton's Lemony Slicket incredible yeah the one bit that completely got me was like we see Will Arnett and Cody Smothers as what we think as the Baudelaire's parents and then the reveal of who they actually are at the end gutted me and it was that's the perfect example of like oh you have hope and then it gets snatches away from you um which is amazing one of the things that got added in that's not in the books oh yes of um, course which i think was just a great because obviously with the books you have this basically the single perspective of the kids Mm -hmm. um with a tv show you need more than that Mm -hmm. and so that twist and that um getting that extra point of view was it just made it for me what's the um best adaptation in that whole series of a single book which one's your favorite oh what's your favorite book first of all in the series it's honestly the last one the end because it just yeah it just didn't it didn't end how i was expecting it Mm. i think the kind of the reveal at the end is how you do reveals um yeah and it's really mature way to end the story yeah yeah and it's it kind of delivered on the promise that it wasn't a happy story no and even though through that whole last book, you're like, maybe with this last one, we will finally get, you know, they will find somewhere safe and they will be happy. It's not that. But it's also not without hope. And I think it does go back to that idea that even when he's ending the series for the last time, there is still a glint of hope that maybe in this fictional universe somewhere, eventually the Baudelaire's did find happiness. And there's a sort of feeling where it's it's the Lord of the Rings. Like you want to get back home, but when you go back home, you realize that the journey has changed you. Oh no, it's not Lord of the Rings. It's the, yeah. the Odyssey, basically. You get back and, and it's, hmm. it's both. But it's the idea that like the journey, the real, you know, mystery was the friends we made along the way and i think at a certain point yeah it's like well a happy ending isn't wouldn't be good for the Baudelaire's, or or like happiness yeah. is what they need but finding a safe guardian and home doesn't matter anymore because they've grown up and they've grown up in a way they could never have expected and they were looking for safety yeah. the entire time and then at a certain point just had to sort of 
make it. I remember make it for themselves. And I remember the penultimate peril was basically just like all it was like all the characters were coming back. Like we were just seeing them cross over all the time in this big hotel, and all the old villains were coming back, and it was really just manic. And that was like. I'm glad that wasn't the ending because what you need is a f- uh, the last one is just basically on this island and this abandoned island where yes. the sec- the answers to the secrets are sort of dangled in front of them and it's just the kids trapped with yeah. Count Olaf and it's like confront your trauma basically really just sort of look at how um, how we've all affected each other and how we've all abused each other yeah. like and 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 it's really sort of compelling. Actually, while I'm thinking about it. Another thing, just relating back to the way it's affected me as Mm -hmm. uh, a writer, is it was one of the first lessons I got in something I think is very important, which is giving your characters what they need and not necessarily what they want, which is something I always try and do and something I've thought a lot more about in maybe the last few years. And it's probably not something I realised all the Mm. way back then. But I think it is a good example of characters may have something they want, but actually for good character mm-hmm. development it might not be the thing that Absolutely. you need to give them i think that's a really good lesson because i think the best i think it's important to revisit the stuff that we like as kids because we realize these were actually well written and it's actually really hard to write for kids because you gotta because basically you, everything needs to be simplistic enough to relate to them but you also need to hide all the tools you can't just say they did this because kids are smart and kids want everything that's new and original and kids are much more forgiving of risks i think in storytelling than adults are or what i've certainly found in people like no this is it needs to be this and and i have my expectations and kids have no expectations so you can just do whatever and i think you i think if you were doing it for a young adult audience i don't think you could have gotten away with something like series of unfortunate events and well that was great um so now we're transitioning more into your writing work and your craft uh, in terms of criticism uh and uh you have chosen a video game to talk about that uh would you like to talk about that video game what it is because genuinely i knew what series of unfortunate events is because i was you know a nerd um I don't know what the fuck a video game is. I never played video games past like the Lego games on Wii, like, and I had like a Game Boy and stuff. But I really, and I'm really terrible at video games. Um, so genuinely, yeah, introduce it, please. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm going to talk about Mass Effect, which is, if I'm pressed for an answer, my favorite video game. But that's a mm-hmm. hard question to answer. But um, it's definitely the point at which I kind of realized the potential of video games for storytelling and it was after playing that series that I just didn't stop playing video games after that um I've always gamed like me and my brothers had pretty much all the Nintendo stuff growing up we had the PS2 PS3 but it was always slightly more their thing than it was mine and I engaged with it and I had my own Nintendo DS and I kind of played the first Animal Crossing game quite religiously and I loved Sims and all that kind of stuff um but then when I was around it was like first year of uni so it was about 2013-ish I think I got hold of a Xbox 360 and I knew my friend loved this game called Mass Effect so I was like well if she loves it I'll probably love it as well put the disc in and just for a brief overview Mass Effect is a sci-fi action RPG game you play as Commander Shepard in the first game you're essentially trying to stop an invasion of these huge artificially intelligent 
alien things from invading the galaxy and getting rid of all organic life. The first game, you're basically trying to stop that happening. The second game, you are trying to save humanity from them. And then in the third game, you're essentially trying to stop the galactic war that's broken out. So it ramps up pretty quick. Yeah. The reason I love it is because it's not just a game where you log on and then you're shooting aliens for a few hours and then it's over. Like it has real story and real heart and real character development and you make choices that impact the story but we will get to that we will talk about the ending of the third game because most people hate it Um, and it is to do with the choices that are made throughout the game Um, but I think especially kind of in the first and second one you make a lot of hard choices about the people around you and it can result in you losing people that you've just spent the whole game building up a a, a relationship with essentially Um, and Mm -hmm. I'd never really experienced anything like that and so when I was done playing, I was like, wow, like there is so much scope here for telling a story in this kind of interactive way where the person experiencing the story is also kind of telling it. Um, and from that moment, I was hooked and I just knew that video games was something that I wanted to be a part of. Wow. Um, so how quickly did you play that first game? The first one, I think maybe took me like three or four days yeah i remember playing it i literally had an assignment due and every day i was like getting up working and just like looking at the clock like how how many more words can i do before i can just get back on the uh, on the xbox Uh, the first game's not particularly long to be honest like there's a lot mm-hmm. of um, sort of quests where you just sort of land on a planet and you have to drive around and you have to find a bunch of stuff that doesn't have a huge amount of like story impact. And mm-hmm. if you go, once you go back and you've, if you play the whole trilogy and then go back to the first game, you'll actually realise that going and do these kind of pointless seeming side quests, they actually, towards the end of the game, there are characters that pop up and you can be like, oh, that was actually the first time I met with them was on that random planet, which is a nice way to kind of make it count. But then the second and third games are quite, quite long games but the great thing about it is just you know you go off and you do these missions and you're fighting aliens and kind of these weird robot things or whatever and but then you go back and between each mission you can essentially go around and you can talk to all your members of the crew and all the crews have this incredible backstory all the different alien races are so well developed and not so much in the first game though a little bit but definitely in the second and third they essentially all have like loyalty quests that you need to do and then Mm -hmm. whether you do them or not has like an impact on whether they stick with you whether they die at the end oh, of the wow. game the first game there is there are two things that can happen in this like really kind of key point and mm-hmm. by the end of the mission you can essentially have lost two of your crew members um, mm-hmm. and one of them could potentially be the person that you've chosen to romance wow and i didn't really realize what was going on the first time i played and i was so angry that i literally just like replayed the whole mission <laughs> because i was like there is wow. no way i'm having that that's not happening um, Dear me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's rough. <laughs> so, like, it's weird for me because I just do not play video games. Mm-hmm. I understand them and I love engaging with video game criticism. I think there's some really interesting people out there who are talking about the medium in a compelling way. Um, what do you sort of make up? Why is Mass Effect uh, pivotal to understanding video games as art or video games as, like, a, a, a medium worthy of our sort of attention? I think, I mean, it's definitely not the first video game to do story as well as it does, but I think it is a great example of how to tell a story through a video game. Because not only does it kind of force the player to care about the people, it makes you care about an entire galaxy, essentially. And it rests this huge responsibility on your shoulders that basically comes down to this one person to stop a mass extinction event of not just like one race, but of a whole galaxy of them. Um, And it does that through A, giving you choices, B, making you think about your morals. So there's a mechanic in the game called the Paragon or Renegade 
kind of meter and you have dialogue options where you know you can choose to be the hero that wants to save everyone which is the paragon option or you can choose to go down a more kind of badass i just want to get the job done it's not necessarily like good and bad but it's two distinct Mm -hmm. ways of handling situations Um, and then they develop this in the second and third game by giving you kind of actual things that you can basically interrupt cutscenes by choosing one of the paragon or renegade options and Mm -hmm. it can change the entire course of a cutscene so uh you might be trying to do like a run through where you're trying to be totally paragon you're trying to sort of save everyone it's for the greater good but there's a choice in the second game where you can basically kill a guy and stop the, him fixing the gunship that you're that he's working on mm-hmm. which then makes the next fight easier so the player mm-hmm. then has to decide well do i want to make this easier for myself or do i want to stick to this kind of morality compass that i've decided we're playing with how do sort of like emotional stakes in this work because the interactual st- st- video game because it's interactive in my mind is like you can have higher stakes because you are effectively imprinting your own story while playing it and you are i think more so than kind of something like film or television where you're watching a story like, i'm not saying with film that you don't feel kind of like involved in what's going on but with a video game you are physically making it happen especially yeah. in a game like mass effect where you're given choices and it can change the course of the story and change you know what characters you're surrounded by i just think it puts you more in the shoes of the story than you're just watching it happen to someone else so when you played mass effect did you jump into the sequels did you jump into video games and when did you start engaging with video game criticism so immediately after finishing mass effect one i played two and three like literally yeah. straight off the bat i think maybe in a month and a half i'd played all three of them um, mm-hmm. and then after that i jumped into to, uh, so Mass Effect is developed by a company called Bioware. I then they've got another series called Dragon Age, which is a very similar kind of concept to Mass Effect in that you are playing the hero, you have a surrounding cast of characters that you can get to know, develop relationships with, and in between you're doing missions. Except it's fantasy rather than sci-fi. And so after Mass Effect, I played Dragon Age which is another one of my favourites. And then, yeah, I just kept finding more games. I played things like Dead Space. I kind of veered off for a while into more mechanics-heavy games. I got really into kind of like management sims and like stuff like that. And then when I got access to a PlayStation 4, I started delving into the kind of bigger open world games again. So things like Witcher and stuff like that. As for when I started writing about video games, it was actually only this year because I tried to get into film and television criticism first because I had this weird block in my mind that it was somehow like more accessible. I feel like I came to video games kind of seriously quite late in my life. I kind of had this concept that other people would like been playing religiously since they were kids and that is the case sometimes but I didn't feel like there was a space for me in video game journalism and so it was just something I kept writing off as it doesn't, you know, I, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. But then it was literally this year, like I had an idea that I wanted to write about. I reached out to a few editors. So I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then, yes, yeah, it's then it's just literally been constant video games. What was writing. piece? Uh, it was my a piece about a game called Stardew Valley, which is a farming simulator, uh, kind of in the style of like Harvest Moon, but it's a bit more mm-hmm. in depth than that. Um, and I basically wrote it as a, hey, if you've been enjoying Animal Crossing this year, then this yeah. might be a good one for you to try next. I can empathize because I sort of had that same thing this year with them um, uh, when I was like, oh, I could write essays, I could write features. And like looking back on like me at that point, it seems so long ago and it was literally like the start of lockdown and I was just I was like all right I'm gonna watch a trilogy of apocalypse movies just I'm gonna watch them I like making double bills and trilogies of movies or stuff 
where they're not actually really connected. And, and, and so I have this thing I'll, when I talk about a lot, there's, there's post-apocalyptic movies and there's apocalyptic movies, but there's actually a genre called the pre-apocalyptic movie. And there are movies that are about the, the world ending, basically. So I watched like Jeff Nichols' Take Shelter, the movie Contagion, and the movie adaptation of the book The Road. And I was like, these are a pre-apocalyptic, apocalyptic, and post-apocalyptic. And I literally just had an idea. And so I was just like, does anyone want this? And then from there, I was like, this is good. I have more ideas. I can talk about more stuff. How we're probably going to have like similar kind of reactions of this. And we discuss this a bit with like yeah. um, on the, the episode we're interviewing me. Do you feel a bit of imposter syndrome coming into the film criticism scene? Oh, for sure. And like, I still do literally every yeah. day. Um, sometimes some of the chats I'm in are just so people like seem so on the ball and I'm reading all this mm. great criticism all the time and I'm just reading it thinking like why would anyone care what I have to say when yeah, they could read this mm. I and then I'll sometimes just get this absolute block on ideas and I'll just be sitting there thinking like I have no right to be saying anything about video yeah. games but luckily I've had only good experiences yeah so far and I've met a lot of editors that have been extremely supportive and yeah. uh, have really like coaxed ideas out of me and uh, had conversations with me that then developed them into something that is you know articles that I'm really really proud of so for that I'm eternally grateful I've had bits where I've submitted pieces and the edits are more than they're quite severe in terms of we need to restructure this essay and stuff mm. and if I get too many edits um I just rewrite from scratch I go well yeah. I can't do this I'm gonna do a rewrite um and I'm very glad for the patience of people but like there have been uh, like two or three situations where i've got um, those situations has happened i've just broken mentally i've been like oh my god i'm a terrible writer i don't know what i'm doing i don't know how to express my ideas and it's nothing in what these editors have said to me that has made me do that it's entirely just my anxiety mm. and then you come back to it and you do it slow and then you sort of realize oh like I'm so eternally grateful that this person genuinely knew yeah. what the good article was and what the critics, they're like, I can see it. I can see what you're yeah. doing. Let's do it this way. Let's do it that way. And I'm I just really if grateful. If you've had a similar experience to this, but if I actually go back and look over the pieces I've written, I actually find it a lot easier to read pieces that have had really good edits and mm -hmm. I've gone back and really paid attention yeah. to what the final piece is going to be compared to ones where the editor's just been like, oh, I've just changed like a few sentences, a bit of grammar and kind of posted it, which is fine. And it's always a good feeling when someone's like, yeah, this is like, yeah. this is good enough to put on our website. Um, but I actually have got to a point where I welcome edits a lot more than I used to. Absolutely. I did a piece on the movie Nightcrawler, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, mm. and it was about work ethic and it was about the idea of comparing yourself to people and the idea, I watched this movie where Jake Gyllenhaal is a guy who like is a stringer. He starts filming people like accidents and crime scenes and sells it to local news. It turns out though, he's a psychopath and uh, it's about like how he's still encouraged to do stuff when he starts actually being voyeuristic, harmful and murderous mm. to people. And I was like, this movie, what is it? Because it's like, what? Because I see all these articles of what this movie taught me about friendship or that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, this movie actually did teach me about work ethic, but you're not meant to follow any of the rules that it says <laughs> in the movie. It's like a how not to. <laughs> Yeah, and I was writing it and I just basically wrote an analysis of the film and they went, yeah, this is great, but it's not what you pitched. Like, you you pitched, like, a personal essay. Let's do that. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to have to talk about myself. Like, and so it was really hard to get there and then they came back and were like, this is great, this is, yes. And then, like, they would, their edits were all like, yes, I need this more. I need this, like, drag it out a bit more. Mm. And they were giving amazing suggestions. And it's one of the best sort of editing processes I've had yeah. because of it. Yeah. I'm super proud of that piece. Um, because it doesn't feel like it's all you. It felt like not only did yeah. people say 
I encourage your sort of weird ideas, but also I'm invested in making them better and 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 help not making them better, but like bringing out the best argument in you. And I think like I'm just very grateful for like us being on like entry level to criticism. Like yeah, like you know we're not at a newspaper we're not staff writers for the paying publications kind of stuff like that like <laughs> you know getting paid for articles that's a crazy thought um but Imagine i am that. very lucky that so some people have paid me and i'm very grateful of that but uh there's this sort of feeling that i think because everyone in the scene is doing it because they love it then no mm. one's gonna really undermine that and no one's gonna really be standoffish and and s- snappy with you because they realize that we all have day jobs and like we're really like you know doing this because we love it and so they might as well help you as they go and there's quite yeah. a few websites out there which are fantastic for entry-level people like if by the way you have things you want to pitch absolutely pitch like i love pitching i have a great time pitching i really enjoy it yeah uh, but it is terrifying as well like the first few times really terrifying uh, for film criticism, film cred uh, and the slice are really fantastic for uh, first time pitches or like yeah. first time writing. They're really fantastic. I don't know much about video games, so you can probably fill me in on that. But they're really good as well of getting you connections and networking and really helping your kind of stuff. For sure. And um, just to uh, give another little pearl mm-hmm. of wisdom, editors are there to help you. And that is the biggest yes. thing that I think you can learn. Oh. Like, they want your piece to be good as much as you want your piece to be good. They're not giving you edits because they think you're shit. They're yeah. just trying to make you the best you can be. And, and once you get that in your head, like, yeah. it makes it so much easier. Like, they are, like, putting this on their site. They want it. They 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 approve and had a validated your ideas and your creativity. But I go still go into the opening that Google Doc when I get that notification yeah. with like a pang of fear of like, oh my god, what have they done? What have they said? Like, and it's like, no, they care. Like, they really care about yeah. this. And it can be really bad if you're like, you know, writing about media and you're anxious. So I want to say like everyone who's writing about media, yeah. like everyone out there, even like, the editors are anxious oh, from what I can tell. Anxious editors, so much anxious editors. So I guess comes to this i don't know anything about mass effect i mean i'm learning more about it except i know that in about 2011 they did mass effect 3 uh-huh. and people do not like the ending of mass effect 3 no they don't could you explain <laughs> just a brief don't fill us in on three movies of plot because i three video <laughs> games of plot because i will uh not so understand once it. upon a time uh, in mass so effect. there's this thing called the space and um could you explain then specifically why people don't like it and what's your take on it okay so the reason people don't like it is as i've mentioned through mass effect you make a lot of choices that kind of shift the way the story plays out and i think people are expecting them to have more in like more effect on the overall ending to the series than any of it really had in the last few moments of mass effect 3 you get a choice of three different options and none of them are great Mm. (laughs) and the way it plays out is a bit weird and it kind of makes you the first time you play it sit there and just be like well this was a bit of a waste of time wasn't it right at least that's how i felt when i played it the first time but now i mean i've probably replayed these games maybe like seven or eight times i'm not exaggerating um yeah (laughs) like when i say i love them i really really love Mm. them the thing is they've got so as i've kind of briefly mentioned you can like romance different characters and there are like a lot of characters to romance (laughs) i know as well commander shepherd is a bit of a player so you know each time you play it you could just like end up having sex with a different alien and that's not (laughs) the reason i played 
That's, oh god, I feel like my mum's gonna listen to this and be like. So guys, exclusively why I replayed Mass Effect is getting nasty with different aliens, and I think that's really okay. a good thing about replaying. <laughs> Other Mass Effect fans will understand. I yeah. Promise. What's really annoying is I wish I was editing this just to keep that in. <laughs> oh, I'll keep it in. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. People should know the truth. Okay, so what was your kind of take? But on yeah. That? Um, but once I've replayed a couple of times, I've kind of got to that point where actually I think the journey of Mass Effect is way more important than the destination. I yeah. got to a point where I don't massively care that those last three choices kind of suck because everything that leads up to them is like just inc this incredibly engaging, beautiful experience about you know, found family and fighting for the things that you care about and this incredible journey of a woman because I always play as female Shepherd, mm -hmm. um, from somebody who was already basically a hero and she becomes just like living legend. For me personally, I've got to a point where I don't, the, the ending of Mass Effect 3 doesn't spoil the experience for me because the other choices I made and the amount of love I have for the story and the characters is like there's not much that could sully that for me it's a sort of interesting thing because i know some people have the same different uh, opinions on whether or not the fact that you know it doesn't end well changes the journey i don't think i could rewatch, let's say game of thrones but not because it spoiled it i mean i watched game of thrones i would watch game of thrones i'd binge a season at a time with like my best friend and we just laugh and chat through it and make all our jokes and it ended and we went well that was shit and, and it is an experience doing it and i know i'm never going to get that experience again but like, yeah. I don't know, like, uh, some people genuinely are, because it ends, because they know how it ends, they wouldn't rewatch it. And there have been seasons of television, yeah. especially mystery shows, where the ending happens, the resolution, it's been great, it's been gripping, it's been really well made, and then the the whodunit is answered, and I go, that's wrong, that's, you've yeah. done it wrong, and thus, the whole point of mystery is, like, telling to get to this point, and it's not satisfying. And it kind of means, I, yeah. I'm likely to think the whole thing's a failure. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with Mass Effect is that final decision, you don't really get any new information, mm -hmm. really. At that point, you know everything that you're going to know. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like a massive twist or a massive reveal. Yes. or it changes it's just, every, yeah. It's simply the fact that I think people were expecting a bit more variance in what could happen. Yeah. Um, and it ended up being, I think people pretty much agree that there's only one of those three choices that really is right. Mm -hmm. for what you've just played yeah and i can understand people's frustration with that i really can but i just think it's such a great story leading up to it that mm -hmm. for me personally it doesn't it doesn't have a huge impact on me mm -hmm. well that's very illuminating and this is going to be a podcast of like genuinely teaching rory about video games and like, <laughs> like i i would i don't like playing them i'm fine when i i'm not like a player too when i go to a friend's house i'm genuinely like no i will just watch you play video games because yeah. i know i wouldn't enjoy it if i'm playing it <laughs> so this is gonna be a learning curve i'm gonna learn all about little video games and playing the little computer men and little mario <laughs> and jumping about and it will be i feel like i feel so old I feel like I just, you kids <laughs> with your darn game. I have a friend who's really into like the big epic story ones. So he loves his um, uh, Last of Us and he loves yeah. his God of War and that kind of stuff. And so I'm sure that if we get some video game people on, because you know some video game people, they can help I illuminate it for me as well. I believe next week we'll be talking about another video game. Oh, that's mm. very exciting. I'm really glad or to hear that. not next week, because we're releasing all these at once. So. Right now, right now, <laughs> right now, right now. <laughs> go. That's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to that then. This, yeah. has been, this has been the introductory episode. So now you're all about me and Abby. And, and that our... makes us all best friends. And we're, I was about to say that. <laughs>
thankfully we're best friends now having never <laughs> having like responded to a tweet and <laughs> just was like one day have, we'll explain how, how this podcast came to be and it's basically uh, and it will just be it will just be like hi and then a zoom call and then we went yes <laughs> and, that was it. and we're gonna be best friends and it's gonna be like you're gonna do the best bang speech at my wedding and it's be like when my first tweet i didn't know it would send us on a crazy adventure now we're in the post-apocalypse and everyone is trading like oil for food and this is where we exist uh, and on that nice. cheerful note <laughs> thanks for joining us oh abby uh, do you have anything to plug do you have any socials we should get on um so you can follow me on twitter and instagram at abby ruggles which is a double b i r u double g l e s because people always spell abby wrong and it's two b's and mm. one i which i know is weird but that's the way it is yeah and yeah pretty much i post everything on twitter from my live reactions as i'm playing video games yeah. to professional things that i'm writing about as a very professional person mm-hmm. if you want to give the podcast a follow on twitter it's at the Storycast. same on instagram uh, or you can get in contact with us at the stories that make us at gmail.com Send us an email. Tell us your thoughts. Just yell at us for um, having the wrong opinions about movies. Like, just do that. Why not? We'll take it. Uh, (laughs) Don't actually do that, please. (laughs) We're very anxious people. We've you just will both make a have a sad. mental breakdown. <laughs> we have a mental breakdown. Absolutely. We need like a um, like a disclaimer. Yeah. Like, do not break us as human beings. Uh, wonderful. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Hooray. And we uh, will see you next time for more s- stories from <laughs> and how they may or may not have made us. <laughs> and one day we will learn how to sign off podcast episodes properly. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.